1: What's going on everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles. My name's Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me as always, Kyle Madsen of NinersWire.com of the USA Today Sports Media Group. And he's a midday producer over at 957 the Game in San Francisco. Kyle, what's happening, buddy? I'm great,
2: man. I'm just hanging out. I just ate some fish sticks. <laughs> Actually, I guess they're I guess they're fish nuggets. And we had some pretty good uh, pretty Pretty, uh, pretty, pretty, uh, we had some fun with a South Park episode related to fish sticks, so.
1: Yeah, shout out to Kanye West. Um, so we are recording this on a Monday, oddly enough. Uh, the Niners had a normal game on a Sunday, which feels like it's, it's the first time that's happened in, in like a month. And, uh, they played a Sunday afternoon game at home, which is always better for us media, media types, uh, even though the fans might prefer primetime games, which are getting Sunday. When the 49ers host the Packers, but 49ers bounce back from that Monday night loss against the Seattle Seahawks to win in come from behind fashion over the Arizona Cardinals 36 to 26. And the score was not at all indicative of what kind of game it was because of that fluke touchdown at the very end, which a lot of people who had money on the game either celebrated or suffered the worst beat of all time. Um, but for the 49ers, a, uh, a pretty good win, a hard-fought win. Uh, if we've learned anything about these Arizona Cardinals, it's that they're tough to play, particularly Kyler Murray and what he can do with his legs. Cliff Kingsbury's offense is is unique enough to, to make it difficult to prepare for. The 49ers have played the Cardinals on short weeks both times, and I'm sure they're happy to face a more traditional quarterback, somebody who's not going to win uh, with his legs like Kyler Murray did on Sunday. Aaron Rodgers obviously is is a different beast in terms of mobility. But before we start rehashing that win over the Cardinals that got the 49ers to 9-1, and let, let's talk about the news of the day. We're recording this on Monday night, so Kyle Shanahan had his Typical post-mortem press conference this afternoon. Uh, it looks like pass rusher D. Ford could miss multiple games with a hamstring injury. He sacked Kyler Murray in the second quarter and wound up leaving the game, didn't return. So Kyle Shanahan said there's definitely concern that it could be a multiple-game issue for him. Uh, rookie receiver Jalen Hurd, the third-round pick from Baylor, who's on injured reserve, is probably not going to play this season. There was hope that he would return to practice. His window to return to practice opened last week. Um, The 49ers didn't actually open his practice window, giving him that return designation, but Kyle Shanahan indicated today that there's a chance that Hurd stays on IR for the entirety of his rookie season, which would be a bummer given how inconsistent the 49ers receiving core has been. Um, Emmanuel Sanders left the game early because of recurring rib issues that first popped up against the Seattle game, so that's something to watch. George Kittle still has knee and ankle injuries. It's uncertain if he's going to practice this week. Uh, Same for running back Matt Breida, who's dealing with an ankle injury. DJ Jones, the nose tackle, has a groin injury. We don't know if he's going to practice this week. And Kyle Shanahan also said Monday that uh, maybe Jason Verrett, the cornerback, and defensive lineman Contavious Street, both guys who are on injured reserve with knee issues, are working towards getting healthy enough to maybe come back. So. If D. Ford does in fact have to miss time, the 49ers might decide to activate Contavious Street, the fourth-round pick in 2018, who missed all of last season recovering from a pre-draft ACL tear. So that's the news of the day. Um, but let's get to this Cardinals game, Kyle. And and we actually got to watch this game together in the press box for the first time. Normally, you're over on the radio end. I'm with I'm with the beat writers, and uh, and this time we we had an open seat right next to me, and uh, and so we got to break down the game as it happened uh what was your take from your big takeaway from sunday and uh and how am i to sit next to during during uh you know in a working environment
2: uh yeah i definitely sat next to you that's for sure um <laughs> moving on uh <laughs> no it was fun it was it was it was a nice a nice little change i i enjoy sitting next to Next to my colleagues from '95-'7, but they're all kind of doing their own thing. That's much more involved than what you're doing. You're obviously writing and taking notes and stuff. But I feel like I can lean over and make a joke to you and have it not like destroy the work you're doing. Sure. Uh, whereas I feel like that's not the case for my friends on the radio side. But I'll probably be back that uh, back down there Sunday night. But it was fun. I'm glad I got to see how the other half lives. My my big takeaway was the Niners found yet. A new way to win a game we had had questions all year about whether they could come back what happens when they get down two touchdowns well they were down 16 like they were technically kind of down three scores and they figured out a way to come back they made plays on both sides of the ball they put the game on the right arm of Jimmy Garoppolo Kyle Shanahan said in his post-game press conference that in the second half he consciously abandoned the run and Garoppolo played like a franchise quarterback saved the two bad interceptions he made more good plays than bad ones and he he led them to a comeback victory and that's hard to do in the NFL we just saw the Saints lose to the Falcons 2 weeks ago we saw the the Packers lose to the Chargers who who are not great i i mean good teams lose to bad teams all the all the time and the 49ers had a real chance to lose yesterday but uh, they, Like I said, they they made plays on both sides of the ball and figured out a new way to pull out a victory.
1: Yeah, so Jimmy Garoppolo, for the second time in three weeks against the Cardinals, throws for a career best for touchdown passes. As you mentioned, he had the two interceptions, but he had a career-high 424 yards, uh, the most he's ever had. Obviously, that's what career-high means. Uh, and he completed almost 76% of his throws, 34-45 um, the reason why lo- looking back at the game, when I got home before I, before I did my first rewatch, it, it was like looking at the numbers. I was like, that doesn't even match up. It didn't feel like Garoppolo had that incredible of a game, but then you look at the 49ers possessions. They punted twice. They're, they, are they 2 of their first three possessions. They punted. Then they go touchdown field goal on long drives, uh, touchdown, red zone, interception, touchdown, red zone, interception, touchdown, Uh, the game winner, and then they turn it over on downs as they're running out the clock in the final minute. Um, So Garoppolo just sort of amassed all these yards because the 49ers weren't punting. They were moving the ball incredibly well against Arizona. And what Kyle Shanahan said afterwards was like, because we had to abandon the run, asking Jimmy Garoppolo to throw 45 times is going to lead to more turnovers. That's just sort of the nature of it with Garoppolo in particular who turns the ball over more than, than most starting quarterbacks. But the 49ers, I guess, are learning that um, they need to take the the good with the bad when when it comes to Garoppolo. And I thought Steve Berman, also known as Barry, a sports guy on Twitter who writes for The Athletic and does a great job there, I thought he had one of the, one of the better tweets of the night. Uh, it was something to the effect of Jimmy Garoppolo is the only quarterback I've ever seen that gets compared to both Joe Montana and Jameis Winston. And... And I think we mentioned it uh, on a podcast recently, like that just might be who Jimmy Garoppolo is. This guy who shows flashes of brilliance, uh, who makes all of these throws that are are genius or uh, phenomenal, d- depending on if they work. And if they don't work and they get intercepted or, um, you know, the defense gets their hands on the ball, then then it looks horrendous. And so it's it's just... Living with Jimmy Garoppolo is life on the edge, is Is I think what we're going to learn about this quarterback, and, and it is still a small sample size. He's still had less than um, two full seasons worth of starts. I think he has 20 now for his career, uh, but a really good performance because, as you mentioned, the 49ers needed a new game script to win this game. They needed Garoppolo to come back from a 16-point deficit and carry the offense with his arm. Uh, which he hadn't done aside from that Halloween game two weeks ago. So, yeah, I, I think overall it was an impressive performance from Garoppolo because it does take resolve, right? Like there are some quarterbacks who throw interceptions like that and then completely lose their confidence. And and if we know anything about Garoppolo, it's that he does not lose his confidence when he makes those plays. Those, those are not uh, – that's not an issue for him. And, and you can tell his teammates' feet off of that. I talked to Mike McGlinchey after the game, and he's like – He's like, Garoppolo's demeanor, In basically what he said was like, Garoppolo's demeanor inspires us to fight our ass off for our quarterback because of how hard he's playing. It's not like, you know, I think there are other quarterbacks in the league where they'll throw interceptions and their teammates get bummed out about it and everybody starts to lose confidence in each other and things start to fall apart. You're obviously not getting that with the 49ers. And so even while Garoppolo is throwing interceptions, maybe at a higher rate than the team would like. The Niners are still 9 and 1 and they still have the best record in the NFC. They're in the driver's seat for uh, a a buy in the playoffs although they're going to they're going to have three three really tough games coming up all against teams who are currently 8 and 2 starting with Sunday against the Packers of course. But you know, like we I think people want to do this thing with starting quarterbacks where you're either perfect or you're garbage. Like you're either the guy who lights up opposing defenses and has a super super bowl on his resume and has done it in the playoffs or you're trash. And there isn't really a whole lot of nuance when it comes to evaluating quarterbacks. And part of that's just the climate that we're in, whether it's you being on talk radio and having to deal with callers who base their opinions on Garoppolo's viability as a franchise quarterback based on what he did the previous game. Um, it's a difficult climate to live in with social media and instant gratification and content and everything like that. I think really the important thing to know about Jimmy Garoppolo is that the highs are really high. The highs could be good enough to win you a Super Bowl if the circumstances are right if the defense is playing well if you have a good running game if you have a complete roster and if you have a good foundation in place in terms of the offensive system the play calling things like that and I think the 49ers have those things and obviously the record reflects it Um, but we haven't seen we haven't seen Garoppolo lose them a game yet on his own right like a lot of things happened in that Monday night game that the 49ers still should have won but for me like I'm still of the mind that Jimmy Garoppolo can get you where you want to go. There are things he still needs to iron out. But relative to some of the other quarterbacks in the league, he, his sample size is still pretty small. And And we're going to have to see that the, the real test is going to be what happens in January. And we're, we're just going to have to wait to see how that goes before I think we can make any firm determinations on Garoppolo. And like I said, Steve Berman, I thought, said it. Brilliantly, when he's like, he's the only quarterback that we can compare to Jameis Winston and Joe Montana.
2: When guys like Joe Flacco have a Super Bowl, and Ben Roethlisberger, who has been a fine quarterback, but Ben Roethlisberger has not been an elite quarterback throughout his career. He's never been an All Pro. He has m- multiple Super Bowls, and or he's been to multiple Super Bowls. He's won two. The. You don't need Tom Brady. Eli Manning has two. You don't need Tom Brady. Nick Foles has one. You, I mean, when you go down the list of quarterbacks who have won Super Bowls recently, like it, it it doesn't take an all pro caliber quarterback. Jimmy Garoppolo can win a team of a Super Bowl. That's it. That that's the bottom line. And is he going to make some mistakes along the way? Absolutely. Is he ever going to have a 35 to 6 touchdown to interception ratio? Probably not. But when the game's on the line, his teammates believe that he's going to go make a play. And in the biggest moment of the game on Sunday with the blitz bearing down on him, he lobbed a pass to Jeff Wilson jr. That went for a touchdown. He made the play in the, in the, in the biggest moment of the game. And that's what ultimately matters. Like it's, I I know that quarterback wins is a terrible stat, but, you don't see a lot of terrible quarterbacks going nine and one,
1: or seventeen and, and three in their career.
2: And seventeen and three in their, Like, if he was bad, that w- if he was objectively bad, that wouldn't be the case. Jimmy Garoppolo can win the 49ers the Super Bowl. That's 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 what I've come away with.
1: Yeah, and and it's going to get to the point where they're going to play games in January and I can already tell you if the 49ers don't end up winning the Super Bowl and Jimmy Garoppolo has to play a playoff game and throws a couple picks, then he's going to get he's going to get blamed for it. And you know, the the saying in the NFL goes and coaches will say this and some smart media people will say this like it's never as bad as it really is and it's never as it's never as bad as it looks and it's never as good as it looks. Right. There's always a level of nuance in between. And just because Jimmy Garoppolo throws an interception in a key moment, that probably shouldn't be a referendum on his entire career. Right. Like coming out of that game Monday, we're probably talking about Jimmy Garoppolo in an entirely different light. If Chase McLaughlin makes a kick, makes a field goal in overtime, we're talking about how clutch Jimmy Garoppolo is both to lead the 49ers to a field goal, to, to tie it at the end of regulation, and to drive as far as he needed to go to to get in range for that kick in overtime. But instead, because Jimmy Garoppolo turned the ball over three times against the Seahawks, that leads the discussion. And so it's it's this weird thing that we like to do where it's like the most polarizing opinions are, are always the most popular and and the most reason takes the those don't garner attention because they're not getting, you know, retweets or um, likes on Instagram or they're not like going viral like no like it's just boring and so I, I find the, the conversation about Garoppolo pretty fascinating but I do want to shift the conversation a little bit um, to the defense and, and the Niners defense has taken a step back I think over these last three weeks in part because the schedule has been a little bit funky they had the Thursday night game on a short week Um, they did play Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury's offense. They beat them there, although they didn't play very well in the second half. They play Russell Wilson. Who's, I don't know if he's still the leading MVP candidate, but he's definitely top two. Um, and, and Wilson does enough to, to win them the game. And then the 49ers of course have Kyler Murray. And and so on Sunday, so then Kyler Murray throws for 150 yards. He rushes for 67, including a go ahead touchdown in the fourth quarter. Um, I thought the defense, I mean, they started out bad, allowing um, those long scoring drives in the first two series was not a particularly good look. And and the 49ers admittedly will say that they need to improve on on starting games. They've gotten off to a few slow starts defensively this year, but to their credit, they've also gotten better as games have gone on. And that's what happened Sunday as well. Um, but they allowed four and a half yards per attempt to Kyler Murray. I know there are a few throws that Kyler made, particularly a long third down throw in the first quarter to Farrell Cooper um, that I thought was outstanding. And then showing off the wheels that he did those couple times um, where he he had big runs, including that fourth quarter touchdown. I just, I do think Kyler Murray is going to be really good. Um, But about the 49ers defense, like, Eric Armstead getting that sack after Garoppolo's second red zone interception that bounced off Ross hands. I mean, how many big plays has Armstead made in the fourth quarter of games this year? You can go back to week one. He had a big sack of Jameis Winston, I think, on a third down. Um, he had the forced fumble against the Steelers in the fourth quarter that allowed the 49ers to get the ball back to go win that game after falling behind because of those five takeaways that they had, those five giveaways, I should say. Um, and i'm sure I'm missing one but then then to have that sack of Murray right after the 49ers give the ball up to to get the ball back to garoppolo with enough time on the clock to win the game um, armstead obviously leaves the t- leads the team with eight sacks a lot of them really clutch uh really impressed with Armstead like I, I think he's sort of the the story of the 49ers defense this year albeit because Nick Bosa might have cooled off a little bit lately but I mean, what you, do what'd you think of the defense and, and what do you think of the season that, that Armstead's having?
2: I think that the Cardinals offense is just really hard to defend because of how well they stress teams horizontally. But the Niners made a really nice adjustment. And I think not having Quan Alexander, especially against an offense like that, is is tough. Dre Greenlaw did have eight tackles, which I think was the second highest total on the team. But they, they made an adjustment when when they needed to. Kyler Murray's four and a half yards per attempt are due to the 49ers sniffing out a lot of those screens and short throws and making sure tackles before those uh, pass catchers could get down the field. And that's what was really killing the Niners early on. And then Murray's just going to make plays sometimes, like that 22-yard touchdown he had uh, late in the fourth quarter. Like That's just him being an electric athlete. There's not a lot defenses are going to do about that. Uh, regardless, but that Eric Armstead sack, Ian Williams did a really nice breakdown, former Niners defensive lineman, Ian Williams did a really nice breakdown on Twitter about how Armstead there is basically supposed to just stand the center up, and then when Fred Warner blitzes, he hits the center's hip, and that basically slingshots Armstead around into Murray, and it worked perfectly. And that's the kind of little stuff that you just don't notice, like unless you have somebody who plays football and knows exactly what's supposed to happen on the play uh, explain it. But when you watch it and have it explained like that, they executed it perfectly, and it worked. And those are the little types of adjustments that, that they make that maybe in the first quarter, that goes for a big play. But in the fourth, it's a sack. And Murray had been so good at getting outside the pocket, extending plays, and either making plays with his feet or finding receivers open down the field and he didn't get an opportunity to do that. Opportunity to do that because of the adjustment the Niners' defense made along the front. So, um, outside of that Armstead sack, there's not one play that really stands out as like a huge play. But they just strung enough stops together uh, to give themselves a chance to win the game. And I think that's a testament to uh, what this defense is able to do when they dig deep and. Uh, bounce back from from poor performances you never see you never see things snowball uh, with this team on either side of the ball and I think that's why they found themselves at nine and one
1: yeah Jimmy Ward didn't have his best game um there were a couple plays I think obviously the two touchdowns the first one uh the bubble screen to Farrow Cooper where I I don't really know what happened it looks like he just kind of got juked out of his cleats and didn't end up trying to make a tackle short of the goal line, and, and Cooper just made one cut right into the end zone. That wasn't a great look for Jimmy Ward. And also, he took a bad angle on that long uh, 22-yard touchdown run from Murray. But I think that was just a case of you're not used to a quarterback being that fast. He's really, really quick. He he accelerates really quickly. Like he It, it takes him two steps, and he's at full speed. And he's small, but, he, I mean... <laughs> Kyler Murray is, is such a unique player. I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to just the NFC West as a whole and, and what what this division is going to look like. Because if the 49ers continue to be a you know contender for for the NFC West title, the Seahawks seem like they're always going to be there as long as Russell Wilson's there. Um, the Cardinals seem like one of those teams that might be like an offseason away from turning things around. Um, so I'm curious to see if they're able to build out their defense a little bit better and their offensive line. Um, but yeah just kyler murray i I think is is going to be a problem so um that'll be interesting to see going forward i'm sure the 49ers are thrilled that they don't have to prepare for the cardinals on a short week anymore uh since both of their games they've both times they've played them have have come on short weeks but um i do want to talk about the running game before we take a quick break and uh a season low 34 yards after setting a a new season low with 87 on monday so the 49ers have now put together their worst two rushing performances of the season uh the last two weeks and i asked kyle shanahan uh, about what those you know about how he diagnoses those issues and I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with the opponent's game plan. Opponents are, are loading the box against the 49ers, daring Jimmy Garoppolo to beat them. And there is a certain logic to that, given that the 49ers are far more likely to turn the ball over uh, with Jimmy Garoppolo dropping back, you know, 45 times a game like he did on Sunday. But I, I also wonder how much of it has to do with not having George Kittle. And, and I think with Kittle... The play action is a whole lot more effective, right? Because you have to worry about him maybe faking a block and then leaking out and gaining leverage on a defender somewhere. And then once he does that, it could be a 50-yard gain because he's so good after the catch. Um, and I think that really loosens defenses up without Kittle. And Rostwelli has played well. And there's going to be uh, a piece on this uh, on the Sacramento Bee's website uh, coming out Tuesday, talking about Rostwelli and and how maybe he can be a um, he can continue to be an asset to the offense even when george kittle comes back cuz the 49ers use so much heavy personnel um, that's a shameless plug but the point the point being i do think george kittle has a massive impact on what the 49ers do through the running through the ground game just because of how just his threat as a receiver and of course he's such a good blocker he just loosens things up, and, uh, and and I think defenses, Seattle and Arizona specifically these last two weeks, have been able to key on the run and devote more resources to filling those gaps, playing eight guys, nine guys in the box. The Seahawks did the thing that happened to the Rams a lot last year where they would play six guys on the line of scrimmage and basically plug all the gaps right from the jump at the line of scrimmage and, and just... Uh, really make it difficult to to run the ball so I'm curious to see how the 49ers adjust we don't know if George Kittle is going to play Sunday against the Packers talk to him after the game I it sounded like he really wanted to play I don't know how close he was to playing but he said he should have played and look whenever you talk to players about their injuries they're always going to tell you that they should play or they're close to playing or they want to play um, they're not good sources when it, when it comes to things like that so Take it with a grain of salt when you hear players say anything uh, about their availability or potential availability if they're dealing with injuries. We don't know what George Kittle's status is, but I do think there's a reasonable chance he comes back for this Packers game because I do think the 49ers, even though they didn't want to say it, uh, I do think they they wanted to ensure Kittle was healthy for this three-game stretch coming up here. Um, But Kyle, I'm curious what you think the issues are with the running game and, and maybe um if you or or just how worried you are about the running game given how important it's been so far this season.
2: I wouldn't say worried just because of all the things you mentioned with Kittle and the 49ers pound for pound aren't the most talented team in the league. They have a lot of really good players, but when you stack up like their offensive line is not as good as Dallas's or pick a good offensive line. Um they're probably they're probably right about middle of the pack talent wise. They have Mike McGlinchey's a first round pick. They have Justin School starting right now, who is a sixth round pick. Uh, Lake and Tomlinson, former first round pick, but the Lions traded him away, I think, for a fifth. Uh, Weston Richburg's a good player objectively, but Mike Person was a journeyman and, and got his first starting job at the Niners last year. Like, this is a pretty ragtag group that's that's produced pretty well, but to see them fall off a little bit when they have to just go out and block guys straight up. um, It's not a huge surprise that they've been unable to do that. And where they've been successful in the run game is their ability to, to fool teams through deception. And you mentioned about, about George Kittle, his ability as a run blocker and then to leak out and, and be a dynamic pass catcher is enough of a wrinkle that it really shifts everything a defense wants to do. And with Kittle not out there, it takes away just a little bit of that deception. And one extra guy or two extra guys being able to focus on the running back and not have to worry about the tight end, that's that's the difference between a huge gain and uh, a gain of two. And I think that's a little bit what we're seeing right now is where the big running lanes were. There is a defender filling those gaps now. And I, and I, I expect that the Niners probably have some adjustments they've been they've been saving to make or just haven't made yet knowing that they had three really tough games coming up after Arizona so it wouldn't surprise me to see them start to run the ball a little bit more effectively with Kittle in the lineup and in these games that uh, they really have to pull out the stops and win if they if they want to stay on top of the NFC
1: yeah and it's also worth noting they didn't have Matt Breed in that game so uh before we get to winners and losers and uh, we obviously have to talk about Demontre more uh let's take a quick break the holidays are almost here and you know what that means gifts and what better gift to give the guy in your life than a stylish shirt that fits just right? Unlike most brands, untucked shirts are actually designed to be worn untucked. Untucked shirts always fall at just the right length, no matter his size, so he looks casual and sharp. With more than 50 plus fit combinations, untucked shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. Uh, I have an untucked shirt. I've actually worn it to a couple different games this year, and it's really comfortable. You can wash it. You can dry it. Uh, you don't have to hang it up for like three days. You don't need to iron it. It's it's just a great shirt. It looks great, and it's uh it it's as far as shirt as like a utility. It works out perfectly. So. Uh, you can find your favorite Untuck It style online or check out one of their 80 brick-and-mortar stores. Choose from styles like wrinkle-free button-downs, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. With Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. And their website is so easy to use, they even have a whole page devoted to helping you find your fit. So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit Untuckit.com and use promo code blue for 20% off at checkout that's untucket.com and promo code blue u-n-t-u-c-k-i-t.com promo code blue for 20% off all right so let's get to our winners and losers from sunday um first winner rookie receiver debo samuel eight catches 134 yards That insane catch in the third quarter where he was interfered with and sandwiched between two guys, and the ball popped up in the air and he caught it, and he ended up hurting himself, hurting his shoulder. Um, But it converted a third and nine, and it was just incredible just an incredible play. I think it was number one on on SportsCenter's top 10. Um, And also, he became the first receiver in 49ers history to have back to back eight catch, 100 yard games. Um, I don't know if you know this Kyle, but there's so, there have been some good receivers uh a part of the Forty ers franchise. So Debo Samuel becoming the first player in team history to uh to have eight catches and a hundred yards in back to back games. Not bad. Oh, you think,
2: oh, you think the Forty ers have had good wide receivers? Name all of them.
1: <laughs> um Marquise Goodwin, uh Dante Pettis, uh Arnez Battle, Ty Streets uh cedric wilson yeah all right we're gonna stop there um any debo samuel thoughts
2: yeah that catch was ridiculous and if you want to be the person who went actually had they reviewed it it wouldn't have been a catch but they didn't review it because of pass interference (laughs) that's how everybody with that take talks Put yourself in rice. That's such a trash, (laughs) no pun intended, on the receiver thing. But that's such a trash take. Like, that was a ridiculous catch. And given what the 49ers receivers have gone through drop-wise the last couple weeks, to see one of those receivers come up with maybe the catch of the year was remarkable. That happened right in front of where you and I were sitting. And I think everybody in the press box simultaneously went, did he catch that? Like, that was ridiculous. And it was one of those plays that, the Niners haven't had a receiver just go up and over a cornerback to make a play like that in such a long time. And so to see Samuel do that, to see them get him the ball down the field and not just on these little bubble screens and and designed runs, they're getting the ball in his hands down the field and letting him go make plays, that's huge. They need somebody else like that. Emmanuel Sanders, he's banged up. George Kittle, he's banged up. They needed someone to step up, and Samuel did that yesterday. And to me showed that, and he has to do this more consistently, obviously, but he can be a go-to guy. He can be the number one receiver on a good team if he continues making plays down the field, and and the 49ers obviously trust him to do that.
1: So he leads rookie receivers in catches. I think he has 38. Um, according to Pro Football Focus, our friend Jeff Dini, PFF Jeff on Twitter, you should follow him. Uh, he His 12 missed tackles forced leads all NFL receivers, so that's pretty good. And his seven seven 7.2 yards per reception after the catch is the best among all receivers with 25-plus catches. Uh, you mentioned it. A lot of that is because he's he is doing uh, – he's running a lot of bubble screens. Uh, he's running jet sweeps where it's a shovel pass, which is technically a pass and a reception when it really probably should be a running play. But, um, yeah, I mean, the way the 49ers are, are utilizing Debo Samuel, I think, is – is really smart and uh and he's he's having a good season and you would like him to clean up some of his mistakes he was flagged for uh an illegal formation penalty um before a first down catch for emmanuel sanders that would have went right by the goal line um and he has he had another or did he have a drop i forget he had i know he had the drop monday and uh and he's had a couple offsides issues or false start issues early in the year but so far really good rookie season for Debo Samuel. Um, so he's a winner this week. Loser, Dante Pettis. Uh, two snaps played. No catches, no targets. Uh, it's not entirely surprising that Dante Pettis didn't play. Bas- he basically didn't play all game. He was in, I think, the final two snaps of the game. Um, Kyle Shanahan in his Tuesday conference call after that Monday night game when Pettis had uh, a drop on the final series in overtime, um, another tough drop on, on a third down earlier in the game, and, and he went no catches on on three targets. Shanahan basically said he's not taking advantage of his opportunity, and if that continues to be the case, he's going to get fewer and fewer opportunities. Well, we know Kyle Shanahan is a man of his word, and so Dante Pettis did not play a whole lot. You saw Richie James get more playing time after playing zero offensive snaps on Monday, so that was one of the changes the 49ers made Game plan wise, and it did work out because they did have that throwback screen when they were down sixteen nothing early in the second quarter. That wound up leading to their first touchdown to get things going. I think it was a fifty-seven yard gain for Richie James down the left sideline. Um. So, can, I, can look, I
2: real quick? Can I say something? Oh, are you going to say something? You go ahead. I,
1: I have a Dante Pettis take, and I and I had this conversation with a few of the the my beat writer cohorts in the media workroom today. Um, Dante Pettis is not having a good season he has not been good he has not been reliable Um, I don't think the 49ers can operate as though Dante Pettis is an asset for them going forward but if I were the 49ers and I'm not uh, I would keep him around because I think we were saying a lot of the same things this time last year about Akella Witherspoon and i think dante pettis's first two seasons are very similar to akella witherspoon's from the standpoint of as rookies in small samples they showed flashes of being um, productive starter level players and then witherspoon in his second year took a massive step back and i think we're seeing the same thing from pettis witherspoon obviously to start this year before he got hurt was playing at a really really high level and I'm not saying that I'm expecting Pettis to bounce back like that. I'm just saying I don't know that I would give up on Pettis entirely because I do think there's talent there. And I think there's a chance that – I don't know if it's going to happen this offseason. It might be too far down the road for him to rebound from this. Um, but I do think the 49ers would be wise to keep him and and sort of allow for that opportunity for him to to compete and improve. Um, because I don't know that they have enough talent at receiver, and I think there are too many question marks with Jalen Hurd and Trent Taylor long-term to be getting rid of a, a second-round pick before his third season. So I know it's been bad for Pettis. I know it, things are starting maybe to get worse. Um, but I, I, like I said, we, I think we had the same conversation about Akella Witherspoon this time last year, and having faith in Witherspoon ended up being the right call for the 49ers. Um, But that being said, they should not operate like Pettis is going to have that bounce back type of season. Uh, I just think they should keep him around just in case he does.
2: I had that exact conversation this morning with some of the guys at the radio station, and I I work in sports talk radio where where hot takes are currency. And some of the Debo Samuel takes flying around were were exactly what you just talked about. And I specifically mentioned Akella Witherspoon because we're having the exact conversation about Witherspoon last year. Like the exact same conversation. And it was the exact same scenario, like you just explained. So I'm right there with, with with Pettis. If he gets a few more opportunities this year, great. But I think he entered this year thinking that he was going to be the number one guy and didn't really get pushed at all and then fell flat. And the production or, or lack thereof is, is reflecting that. He's obviously a good player. We saw him have that terrific stretch between weeks twelve and fifteen last year when he was healthy and finally in the flow of the offense. And then this year, like I said, I think I think he came in thinking he was going to uh, toss his helmet on the field and and put up ten touchdowns, and that just hasn't happened because it's the NFL that's hard to do. So I'm I'm not giving up hope in in Dante Pettis, but. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if, if we continue to see his snap counts among the lowest among the Niners wide receivers, because they need playmakers at that spot. And he hasn't been that for 10 weeks.
1: Yeah. I mean, when they get some guys back from injury, I think at this point, it wouldn't be surprising to see Pettis being active. So um, because they have so many guys out, they've had to have six receivers. So um, we'll have to see. I mean, there's, 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 always a chance for that something happens and he sees his role increase and he takes advantage of it. But right now it's not looking good for him. Um, so let's get back to the winners. We talked about Eric Armstead, eight sacks, another crucial play late uh, getting that sack on Kyler Murray after Jimmy Garoppolo turned the ball over. I don't think we have have, have to say much more about Armstead other than the fact that I'm going to reiterate, it's going to be a fascinating offseason with him um, and I don't know how the 49ers are going to create enough cap space if they do plan on signing Armstead, DeForest Buckner, and George Kittle to new contracts, uh, and Emmanuel Sanders, and Jimmy Ward. Uh, I think they have something like $25 million in cap space. And obviously, I think if you did the math and just did like what those guys could probably get on an average per year basis, you're looking at like well over $40 million. So they, they might have to get creative. Um, but Armstead is uh, is having a great season, and so'll we'll, we'll have to see how that all shakes out. but the 49ers will love this because they're gonna need they're gonna need more from him with with Ronald Blair hurt and now D Ford hurt for maybe a couple games and during an, a, a crucial stretch. So you have anything else on Armstead uh, before we get to uh, our next loser?
2: He is gonna get paid this off season.
1: That's paid. Okay, Loser, Richard Sherman. Uh, you just cannot have three pass interference calls in half. And I know that particularly the last one where uh, it looked like he made contact with the ball while sort of before he went through the receiver after being behind him. Um, I don't think that was P.I., but I think the other two were pretty clear. Uh, I do think it was a very poorly officiated game and just given the way that the league has not overturned many non-Pi calls into Pi calls when coaches challenge. I was shocked at that first one on the first series. The first—I uh, don't know if it was the first third down, but it was on a third down during the first series. Um, that set up the Cardinals' first field goal. I mean that Sherman's just got to be better than that, and I think he'll tell you that. And he spoke about the, he spoke about those penalties afterwards, saying it was interesting and. Sort of tossing conspiracy theory stuff out there. Um, I just think Sherman needs to be better than that, and uh, and you know he he can't he can't be giving away free yardage uh, to inferior teams because that's that's how you get beat. That's how mistakes are made, and uh, and so yeah, he's he's got to clean that up. And he's having a good season, but those those three PIs in one half, uh, not not good. It
2: was the first time he really got tested all year. And I think he he had a little bit of trouble with Christian Kirk's speed, and it's one of those it's one of those things where Sherman's such a smart player, it feels like it's an adjustment he'll make. And Absolutely. Christian Kirk, I think, is going to be a really good player. So yeah. um, I, I I again I at Sports Talk Radio, you, you hear some some scorchers and uh, some negative Richard Sherman takes. We're, we're coming across <laughs> the line today and. <laughs> Given given his his larger sample size, I think Richard Sherman's going to be just fine.
1: I think about twenty nine teams in the league would gladly take uh, Richard Sherman and whatever issues he might have. So um, yeah, Sherman, Sherman's fine. Don't don't worry about Sherman, even if he's a loser this week. Um, w- <laughs> winner, Ross Dwelly two touchdowns, his first two touchdowns of his career. Uh, two tutties, as George Kittle would say. Um, not a huge statistical game. Uh, just, let's see, I gotta go, go look. He's way down here on the list of receivers. Four catches for 14 yards. Kyle Shanahan continues to joke time after time. Like, Kyle Shanahan loves this joke, and it's very much like dad humor. He said, uh, he said, Kyle, uh, what'd he say? I I don't want to screw this up. I need to go back and find the quote. We always mess with him. He's got the best four yards per catch average in the NFL right now. That's why we went to him on third and three. It's like he was right at his spot. And obviously Shanahan was referencing the uh, third down conversion that probably shouldn't have been ruled a first down. Um, Like I said, a very poorly officiated game. I have no idea how that was ruled a first down, but it did benefit the 49ers pretty significantly because the next play was the game-winning touchdown. Uh, But that aside, Ross Dwelly has been just really, really solid for the 49ers all year. Backup tight end who had to play a ton of fullback, uh, now playing like a number, not like a number one tight end, but he is the starting tight end with George Kittle out, catching a couple touchdown passes. Uh, Kyle Shanahan said he's been one of the team's best football players throughout the entire year, and whenever a coach says something like that, particularly Kyle Shanahan, like that's pretty telling. Um on a 9-1 and one team that's that's loaded with a lot of talented guys to say he's been one of our best football players is about the highest praise you're going to get. So um, kudos to Ross Dwelly. And, uh, and like I said, I did write something about how there's a really good chance that the Niners are going to have a pretty good 1-2 tight end combo thanks in large part to this experience that Dwelly's got over these last few weeks replacing Kittle and, and Kyle Juszczyk.
2: Yeah, not an athletic dynamo, but just... Like, like, like Kyle Shanahan said, he's just a really good football player. Like he's good at a lot of things and that's a nice, that's a nice piece to have in an offense that values deception. And if they know that Dwelly can be a go-to guy, especially in the red zone, or if he's going to be the guy that teams just kind of forget about because they're worried about Kittle, that's, that's valuable. That can be, that can be a valuable role in this offense. And Dwelly credit to him, took advantage a couple of touchdowns yesterday and then the biggest third down conversion of the game. i'm not I'm not sure what else you you could want for a guy uh, replacing George Kittle. I know the numbers weren't there, but uh, or or the statistical production wasn't there from a yards and catches standpoint, but two touchdowns and a huge first down uh, third down conversion. I, I think
1: you'll take that all day. All right, final loser. Uh, Vance Joseph, Cardinal's defensive coordinator. What are you doing calling a zero blitz after you've been gashed time after time by screens in the second half uh, that led to Jeff Wilson's touchdown? Like, Why are you calling a zero blitz, and why are you putting Chandler Jones in coverage against a running back with the game on the line? Uh, didn't love the play call, Kyle. I didn't think it was a good one because you shouldn't be able to complete a uh, a short, I don't know, 10-yard throw and have a running back scream through the middle of the defense with nobody around him. Um, I know it was a difficult, you know, Garoppolo was pressured, and it wasn't an easy throw, and it wasn't a particularly easy catch, but in such a high leverage situation, going zero blitz there against Kyle Shanahan after the Niners had been gashing the Cardinals over and over again with various screens, uh, not not an awesome play call defensively. So not trying to take away anything from the 49ers' victory, but Vance Joseph... Leaving a little bit to do, to be desired there, I would say.
2: Yeah, a great play by uh, by Jeff Wilson in his first offensive snap uh, to to make that catch, and I, I think Vance Joseph was trying to just force Garoppolo into into a mistake. I mean, he showed that he's susceptible to throwing a bad ball, and in that situation, if the Cardinals get a turnover, the game's over. So uh, I guess it was a risk reward thing, and they were just going to go for it. If, if maybe that's that's the logic there But I I, I don't know I, I, I thought it was a strange defensive play call And it did not work Which is why we are second guessing it
1: Former defensive backs coach for the Niners From uh, 2005 to 2010 So Vance Joseph um, Didn't have a great run As the Broncos head coach the last two years Now he's a Cardinals DC Didn't love it Didn't love that one uh, if if you're an Arizona Cardinals fan. So, we have a very important issue to discuss, as many people have brought up on Twitter. It's the elephant in the room. It's the elephant in the room. Um, So, Demontre Moore was re-signed by the 49ers last week, and uh, we had some fun. I don't want to say it was at Demontre Moore's expense. I, I think you did a good job to reiterate the point that the joke of having the how they survived without Demontre Moore Award was more about the hysteria that happens, and it happens every year around final cuts when everybody's favorite preseason player doesn't make the team. People um,
2: were acting like they didn't draft Nick Bosa number two and trade a second round pick for D Ford.
1: Right, and you also had Ronnie Blair, who was playing really well before he got hurt, and um and Solomon Thomas, who, if you remember, Kyle was the number three overall pick in twenty seventeen. Um, So they had plenty of guys along the defensive line there. So the 49ers re-signed Demontre Moore because Ronald Blair goes down for the year. And uh, he's a really emotional guy. It's impossible not to be really happy for him because... Um, he's just so excited to be back in the league. He obviously didn't get signed by anybody after being released by the 49ers during Final Cuts. He's still in a, a group chat with a bunch of the defensive linemen. He talks to defensive line coach Chris Kosurek once a week, even when he wasn't, wasn't on the team. Um, so he still very much remained a, a part of the, I guess, the, the culture or, or a part of the defensive line room, however you want to put it um and so yeah he's just an emotional guy and and he's run into some issues in the past um i know his his time with the giants was marred by some off the field stuff but so anyway the niners re-signed DeMontre moore so you know he's on twitter uh i'm sure some people on twitter had mentioned to him that one of the beat writers had a running joke on a podcast about the Demontre moore award or how they survived without the Demontre Moore award so I approached Demontre in the locker room and I told him that uh, rather than him hearing it from somebody else on Twitter I wanted to let him know what the deal was with this thing to prevent any sort of issue between you know professional athlete and uh and beat writer and so I told him and and he was totally cool about it he was uh he understood what the deal was he told me that if it pissed him off, that he was going to beat me up, and uh, and I think he said that jokingly. But I did go back in the locker room the next day, and he did not beat me up. So uh, so everything's cool. So just wanted to let everybody know that there's there's no beef between Demontre Moore and I um, because of the how they survived without Demontre Moore award. So a lot of people have asked, what are we going to do with the with the award now? Because uh, they're not surviving without Demontre Moore anymore. He's he is on the team, so he is a part of the winning. And he forced a fumble with a big hit on Keyshawn Johnson in the final minute of that game, that essentially sealed the win, um, which we didn't mention earlier, but it was it was a relatively big play in that game, and uh, and he was really emotional about it afterwards too. Um, so what we're gonna do is when we recap a game the day after. Uh, when we when we have a recap episode the day after a game, as long as this pod exists, the MVP award from that game is hereby known as the Demontre Moore MVP award. Um, so from now on, it's not going to be the how they survived without Demontre Moore award. It's the Demontre Moore MVP award, and uh, deservedly so because Demontre Moore earned it. He got a job in the league, and uh, and he made a, a big play in the game. And so uh, that's a credit to him. So this week, the Demontre Moore MVP award for the 49ers win over the Cardinals is uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. Surprise, surprise. Career high, four touchdowns tied. uh, Career high, 424 passing yards. Game winning touchdown drive. He completed six of seven passes for 58 yards on that drive. He did have the two picks, which looked like they were going to lose the 49ers a game. Um, But I think overall, it's a pretty easy decision the Demetri Moore MVP award—the very first one—goes to Jimmy Garoppolo.
2: Is there some sneaky Ewing theory potential here? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> uh, can I? I'm gonna I'm gonna step outside the box a little bit on this. This okay. is me vacating the box. Can my MVP be undrafted free agents? Y-
1: what do you mean? Your MVP of what?
2: My, my my MVP of the game, my you said Jimmy Garoppolo. Oh, like all of them. Mine is undrafted free agency. Yeah. Because all four of the 49ers touchdowns yesterday were scored by undrafted free agents. Ross Dwelly had a pair, Jeff Wilson had one, and Kendrick Bourne had one. Um all four of their offensive touchdowns, I should say. Uh DJ Reed was a draft pick. He had the he had the one in the last second, but right, right. um all four offensive touchdowns were were scored by undrafted free agents who were were really only on the field because of of injuries to some other guys not so much born but um Dwelly and wilson for sure so uh shout out to those guys for for not only making the roster in an unlikely fashion but coming in and producing and i think that's a credit to the coaching staff as well making sure those guys are ready to play and recognizing that they were talented enough to have on the team, and I think that's really cool when when that happens for NFL players. So shout out to those three guys.
1: Yeah, shout out to Demontre Moore for being a good sport, and um, hopefully he doesn't beat me up uh, at any point going forward. It'd be a uh, real
2: somber Blue Wire Pod, uh, uh, Candlestick Chronicles Pod on Blue Wire. <laughs> if I had to come on here by myself, like yeah, Chris is in the hospital. Montre Moore kicked his ass. Uh. <laughs>
1: that wouldn't be uh that. I mean, that might be good for the brand, though. It'd be a really good bit.
2: <laughs> Which is such a strong bit.
1: Um. Alright, well I think that's all we got for today. We're going to record another pod on Thursday. That should be up for Friday morning. Previewing the Niners' really big game against the Green Bay Packers. So the Niners' next three opponents are all 8-2. And, two, and uh, they're all currently in uh, one of the... I mean, they're, they're all competing for a bye in their respective conferences. So... Lots, lots, lots of stuff happening. Huge game. Big yep. time games coming up. Yep, big one. All right. We'll talk to you guys then. Thanks for listening.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium?